0: I'm John Carter standing beside the eastern part of uh, Sydney Harbour. It's a great place to be. The first fleet came here in 1788 with a heap of convicts. Could you imagine that they paid even free settlers in those days their wages in rum? That's pretty rough. It was a rough civilization. But from these awful beginnings something wonderful came, a wonderful nation. And people called this place, Time magazine called it, the lucky country. But there was no luck about it. It was because of the influence of the Christian church preaching the everlasting gospel, from rum to a great nation. I'm John Carter, and welcome today to the Carter Report.
1: What is black and white and is loved all around the world? Of course, it's the giant panda of China. Each year, millions of people go to see these extraordinary animals at the few zoos where they are on display. The giant panda is a national treasure in China and can be found in Chinese art dating back thousands of years. However, It wasn't until 1869 that people outside of China first heard about this adorable creature in a description given by a French missionary named Pierre Armand David. For years, the scientists were puzzled. Were these huge, furry, tubby creatures raccoons or bears? They didn't know, and so for many years, they wondered whether the giant panda and the red panda belonged to the raccoon family. And it wasn't until the 1980s, fairly recently, when modern biotechnology allowed the scientists to study the genetic code of the pandas. And it was decided, yes, the giant panda belonged to the bear family, while the red panda belongs to the raccoon family. If you've got any questions about it, look up the encyclopedia. At birth, a baby panda weighs about five ounces and is all white. The black parts around their eyes and ears and the rest of their body develops within a few weeks of birth. How big do they grow? Males weigh from 220 to 330 pounds, while the females weigh about 10% less. They can measure five to six feet tall as they stand up to reach the leaves and the stalks from the bamboo, their favorite food. How long do they live? From 28 to 35 years. What is their lifestyle? They eat and sleep a lot. Know anyone like that? Giant pandas do not hibernate like most of their relatives. In the cold, snowy mountains of China, where they live in bamboo forest, usually at an elevation between 4,000 and 10,000 feet, Their thick and somewhat oily fur coat keeps them warm and dry in all kinds of weather. While they seem quiet animals, they can bleat, growl and honk. They are curious, playful and intelligent. They are also very flexible and they love to do somersaults and other antics. Sadly, this beautiful creature is one of the most critically endangered species in the world, with only about 1,000 or less left. And the main reason for this is that there's a shortage of bamboo as a result of the destruction of their habitat. China has more than one billion people. And as they build more towns and farms and use more natural resources, the pandas lose their homes. In recent years, though, China, with international help, has begun to establish wildlife reserves to ensure that the remaining pandas have space to live and eat. China is also allowing some zoos to keep pandas for a time so they can study them and try to increase their number. San Diego Zoo, here in Southern California, is playing a big part to preserve the giant pandas. They have had several in recent years. One of the most famous is Bai Yun. She made world headlines when she gave birth to Hua Mei in 1999, the first panda there. And uh, if you think I can speak Chinese, well, I'm just hoping that I can. More recently, on August 19 of this year, just a few weeks ago, Bai Yun gave birth again. And if you want to see something marvelous, go to sanDiegoZoo.org on the web, and click on Panda Cam. Here you will see a continual live showing of Baiyun and her baby. I've watched it a little while this week, and I've seen Baiyun take the little cub in her paws. I've seen her feeding him, and it is just incredible. So, parents, I encourage you to do that. Let us give our children a true understanding of creation and its creator. Any child who grows up without a love, appreciation and respect for the natural world is at a great disadvantage. God gave us nature and animals for our enjoyment and well-being, and as responsible human beings, let us do all we can to help preserve these magnificent gifts.
0: Ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to the gospel according to Luke. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6. As I told you folks a few moments ago, we're happy today to have with us in the church, the 12 disciples who became the 12 apostles. Luke chapter 6 verse 13 and onwards. Luke chapter 6, verse 13 and onwards talks about the calling of 12 ordinary men. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. They're with us today in the church. I want them to come up now, please. And uh, I've asked them at the appropriate time, when they're all up here, to uh, introduce themselves to you. We want to thank, once again, the Fox Network for graciously lending us the robes for the 12 apostles. I'm Simon, son of Jonah. But sometimes, Jesus likes to call me Peter. I'm a fisherman, and I am in charge of all things around here. When everybody flakes out, you can count on me. I'm also handy with my sword.
1: I'm Andrew, Simon's brother. I
0: introduce Peter to Jesus. I too am in the fishing business.
1: I'm James, and I am also a fisherman. And I sure like to have the best seat in the kingdom right next to Jesus. Let me introduce you to my young brother. I'm John, and Jesus is- calls James and me sons of thunder. That's a funny name for a couple of fishermen.
0: I'm Philip, apostolic administrator. I'm in charge of logistics. When Jesus wants to feed the people, he talks to me. Some people call me the bean counter.
1: I'm Nathaniel, and here is my best friend, Philip. Sometimes they call me Bartholomew, and I wonder how anything good could come from that sleazy town called Nazareth.
0: Shalom. My name is Matthew, and I work for the IRS. I'm Thomas. Unless I see it, I won't believe it.
1: I am James, son of Alphaeus, and when my friends wrote the Gospels, they forgot all about me. In fact, instead of just naming me one of the 12 disciples, they didn't even mention me after that at all. But that's okay.
0: I'm Simon, not to be confused with Peter, and I'm a member of the Zealot party,
1: and I'm for the revolution, so watch it. <laughs> my
0: name is Judas, son of James, but don't confuse me with the other Judas. I'm a behind the scene player.
1: I'm Judas Iscariot, and my name means Jehovah Leeds.
0: I'm the treasurer of the Jesus business. Yes. And uh, I'll do anything for money. But you know what? Tell you the truth, I'm smarter than the rest of these guys, the rest of the disciples. Jesus just doesn't get it. It is true, folks. But these men, as you can see, are very ordinary men. Some of them can hardly speak. You'd think Jesus would have chosen people.
1: Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me.
0: We're trying to have a church service here. And if you want to argue about who is the smartest and the best, why don't you do it some other time? Would you mind sitting down, listening to the church service? It just may help you. Could you do that, please? Thank you. We need a microphone somewhere. Have you got a microphone somewhere? Here it is. Please. I just want you to hold that. (laughs) I want to talk to you now about this man whose name is Peter. Peter became the chief of the apostles. He came from a little village on the Sea of Galilee. He was married. and The Bible tells us that he used to take his wife around with him when he went on his excursions. He was named Simon after Simeon, a man in the Old Testament who had a violent temper. Jesus gave him a nickname in an attempt to get him to live up to that nickname. The word Peter means a stone or a piece of a rock. Peter was an extrovert and we've all heard of uh, animals who suffer from foot and mouth disease. Well, so did Peter. We've given him the microphone, but we've turned it off. <laughs> Peter was impulsive, loyal, and generous. He was also unstable. He made big promises, and he was very self-confident. You can read about his calling in Luke chapter 5, verses 3 to 11. Would you please turn over here with me to Luke chapter 5 and verses 3 to 11? Luke chapter 5 verses 3 to 11. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Now, Simon, I want you to read the text for me out of the Bible. Simon answered. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And as you know in the Bible, they let down the nets and they caught an extraordinary number of fish. When you read the New Testament, it's full of Peter. Peter had an opinion on everything at any time. You remember on the occasion when they were talking about forgiveness, Jesus was talking about that we should love our enemies and we should forgive them. Peter said, How many times should I forgive my enemies? Seven times? It was in a burst of magnanimity. Shall I forgive them? Seven times? Jesus said, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Then on one other occasion, as they were going along the road with the rest of the disciples, Peter said, "Uh, we've done a lot of work for you, Lord. We've left everything. What are we going to get? That was Peter And then, of course, Peter is known in in history for his wonderful confession of faith. And you can read about this in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. Matthew chapter 16 and verses 13 and onwards. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. The word Peter is a nickname. It's not really his name. And the word Peter means a stone or a small rock that was taken out of a much bigger rock. Jesus was telling Peter, I don't want you to be just a weak person. I want you to be a strong person. Peter was the person who said to the Lord when Jesus needed him most of all even though everybody denies you, everybody falls away, I won't deny you, Lord. Peter was ambitious, he was proud. Peter was loyal, but Peter didn't know Peter. And uh, the Bible tells a story that they went into the judgment hall of a high priest. Peter stood there warming himself at the fire. And when the girl said to him, you're one of them, he said, I don't know the man. Peter denied the Lord three times with cursing and with swearing. But Peter could be brave. On the Thursday night when the gang came out to arrest Jesus, and some historians think there could have been 600 soldiers there, with all the priests and the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees, Peter was the man who was first to pull out a sword. Peter was not a coward. But you know the story, when he struck out at the the man there, he simply chopped off his ear. Peter was doing his best. And then when you read in the Gospels a little bit further, you read that after the resurrection, they met together, and of course Judas is missing because Judas has gone out and hung himself, and Peter leads the church board, and he says, we've got to replace Judas. It is Peter who is the person who speaks up and uh, tries to get somebody to uh, in the place of Judas. But in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up and preaches a mighty sermon and sees 3,000 souls converted and one to Christ. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a leper. In Acts chapter 4, This man who had denied the Lord is standing now before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 4 and verses 6 and onwards. Would you please turn to that with me? Acts chapter 4 and verses 6 and onwards. The Bible says, Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then let this, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And verse 12, he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What happened to Peter? Peter was changed by the grace of God. A very ordinary man But a man who did for God, after God changed him, extraordinary deeds. A little bit like your brother, Andrew. Andrew. Andrew, no, you won't need it. You won't need it. Like Andrew. We don't know a lot about Andrew. But the Bible seems to indicate, well, more than indicator tells us that he was a part of the inner circle of four. Andrew did something wonderful. He introduced Peter to Jesus, the Messiah. Andrew, when he started out, was no preacher. Andrew was an illiterate fisherman. Or maybe he could read and write, but Andrew had not been to the seminary. He lived in the shadow of his big brother, Peter. And uh, when Jesus was preaching to a great crowd, the Bible says there were 5,000 men there, which would have meant a crowd of at least 20,000 people. And Jesus said, how are we going to feed these people? And Andrew said, there is a boy here with five barley loaves and two small fish. Later on, Andrew is mentioned. Some Greeks came to see Jesus. They said, we want to see the Messiah. And they came to Philip. And Philip didn't know what to do with these Gentiles. And so, Philip brought the Gentiles. Philip went and saw Andrew. Because Andrew was good at leading people to Jesus. He is not mentioned a great deal in the Bible He lived in the shadow of his brother. And then there was James. James was the eldest son of Zebedee. He too was in the inner circle. There was Peter, James, and John, and sometimes Andrew. And when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus, James was there. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was in the inner circle that saw everything wonderful. Jesus called him with his brother, a son of thunder, sons of thunder. They was, and he was thunderous, passionate, zealous. When he was going through Samaria with the Lord, James and John, the Samaritans didn't want to welcome Jesus. And so he said, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven and burn them up exactly like Elijah did? He was a hot head. And then he did something that the rest of the disciples didn't like. He went along to his mother and said, Mother, would you please go along and talk to Jesus? Because he'll listen to you because you're a lady. And ask Jesus can John and I sit one on the left and one on the right side of you in the kingdom of God, the son of thunder. And his brother, John, he too was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. Andrew was a fisherman. James was a fisherman. This man, John, was the brother of James, the younger brother. He's described in the scriptures by this word in the book of John. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He started out hot headed, impatient, he helped to say with James, let's call down fire from heaven and burn up these people because they won't welcome us. He asked for the first place in the kingdom of God. And yet, through the transforming grace and the love of the Savior, he is known by all historians by the title, the Apostle of Love. And on the night of the betrayal, everybody ran away. Except two. He and Peter went into the judgment hall of the high priest John did something very wonderful when Peter had denied his Lord. It was John alone who stood at the cross. None of the other disciples, where were you? They ran away, but John was there at the cross. And Jesus, in his dying breath, said, Woman, here's your son. Son, here's your son mother. John has a wonderful reward waiting for him in the kingdom of God and yet he had been such a hot headed bad tempered person. Sons of thunder goodness. Then we come to the next group. You see the apostles are divided up into groups of four with a leader. The next one is Philip. And we know so very little about Philip. We know a lot about Peter, a bit about James, a fair bit about John. But Philip, well, his name is not even Hebrew. It's a Greek word. It's a Gentile word, and it means lover of horses. But he was probably a fisherman when he found Jesus. Philip said to Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write the Messiah. And uh, we found him in Nazareth. And uh, the other man said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. That was a wonderful thing. He didn't argue. He said, come and see for yourself. We alluded a moment ago to the feeding of the 5,000, most likely the 20,000 because in those days they only counted the men, sadly. So there was a crowd of 20,000. And Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread in the wilderness to feed all these people? And this man said, $40,000 would not buy enough for this multitude what he said in today's language $40,000 wouldn't feed them all this man Philip was the bean counter Uh, he was the administrator he was the one who did everything according to the policy book when the Greeks came to Philip they said sir we would see Jesus Jesus but Philip didn't know what to do about it because it wasn't in the policy book And if it wasn't in the church manual, he said, I really don't know how we're going to handle this because it's not written here on page 1698, paragraph 6. And so he did something that was wise. He took him to Andrew. Then you come to the Last Supper on the Thursday night. And when Jesus needs encouragement and hope and love, he's been teaching these men for a long time. Philip says after Jesus has worked miracles, raised the dead, he says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be sufficient. This was a man slow of heart and little faith. He was very, very ordinary. Now some of you will say who are watching the telecast, you sitting here, but you don't have trained actors up here. We notice that some of them Sort of got nonplussed in front of the camera, and they forgot their words. That's what the disciples were like. They weren't trained ministers. They weren't trained actors. And if you put Andrew, possibly not Peter, because he always had a word for any occasion, but if you put the rest up today before a television camera, they'd say, "Um, ah." Mm, mm, uh. They were not extraordinary people. They were very ordinary. Then there was Nathaniel. He's also called in the scriptures Bartholomew. So when you read the accounts, sometimes you'll read a different name and you'll wonder how this works. Nathaniel or Bartholomew. The truth of the matter is we know precious little about Nathaniel who was also called Bartholomew. We do know that he came from a small town in Cana and he was looking for the Messiah. Did you know this that all of the disciples except Judas came from Nazareth. None of them came from a big town. You know what? You know what it was like up there or Nazareth or the area around Nazareth from Galilee. That would be more correct to say. They came from the, the area that is known as, as Galilee, whose capital really was Nazareth. But this was a land of farmers and fishermen. You think of the place in America or Canada or Australia, wherever, that you think of as Hicksville, and you say, goodness. I wouldn't want to live there. They're all hayseeds. Jesus got his disciples among hayseeds. Fishermen or farmers. When uh, he was looking for the Messiah and he was told about the Messiah and he was told we found him as Jesus of Nazareth. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was prejudiced. In fact, this man was a racist. Everyone was classified and categorized. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Peru? You'd give a job to a Colombian. Are you crazy? Don't you know they're all druggies? Employ a minister from Australia. Don't you know they produce heretics? Have an American. Don't you know that they're all talk? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This man was the racist and he was good friends with matthew now matthew was a very interesting character because and he even looks at he was a tax collector he worked for what we would call today the irs When there was that big scandal in America a number of years ago over there in Texas and other parts where people were being defrauded by the IRS, it spoke about a guy over there in Texas who was driving the best motor car and living in the best home because every time he put somebody out of business, he got a share of the profits. Remember this? And people said, what disgusting... Characters and some said, Let's get rid of the IRS, but it is still here today. People hated tax collectors because this man here was collecting for the Romans. Now, I'm going to say something which is going to touch a nerve. It's like an Iraqi in Baghdad who's collecting money for the Americans. You know what's going to happen to him? He's going to get shot fast because people do not like people who are sympathizing with an occupying power this man was not only sympathizing he was working for the romans now this brings us to a loaded question why on earth what was jesus thinking about when he got you matthew What was Jesus thinking about when he got the big mouth? Peter. What was he thinking about? Or James and John who were like volcanoes ready to blow their heads. Shall we call down fire like Elijah did? These people are behind on their tithes and offerings. Let's burn them up. Why was Jesus picking these people? Listen carefully, I'll tell you why. Because the religious leaders of the days of Christ were totally and absolutely corrupt. And as Dr. John MacArthur says, like most religious leaders today. So Jesus didn't go to the schools of the Pharisees. He didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't do this. Jesus went to the beach and got people who were fishermen and as he was walking along one day he saw this hated character he was sitting there taking in the money and he said follow me but he saw beneath the body and he saw into the soul and he saw what he could become by the grace of God. The religious leaders back there were blind leaders of the blind. I was talking last night to my dear friend, Dr. Graeme Bradford. We were talking on the fact that religion, doesn't matter what religion it is, has a tendency to go to seed. It naturally deteriorates except for the grace of God. And so Jesus chose these people because the leaders of Israel had become pompous, self-sufficient, evil manipulators of the people. And when Matthew followed Jesus, the first thing he did, do you know what he did? He threw a party. And Jesus was the guest of honor at the party. And the people who came to the party, your party, Matthew, were the riff, raff of society. There were prostitutes and other tax collectors. And the Pharisees said, this man eats with sinners. Jesus said, I sure do. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This man came from the dregs of society. One of his best friends was a man by the name of Thomas. Thomas. Well, Thomas was the professional pessimist. When you read in the Gospels about the raising of Lazarus, Jesus said, one occasion, he said, let's go to Judea again. And uh, Thomas said, Let us go with him that we may die with him. Jesus said, We're going to go to Judea. Let us go with him that we may die with him. He always looked upon the black side. He's like the person on the church board. You say, We're going to do so and so. Can't be done. We don't have the money, it's impossible unless we have the money in the bank. Have you met them? Then in the Gospels, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas spoke up and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Here is Jesus. He's been teaching this man and these other men for a long period. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't know. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then of course, you know, when the news got around that Jesus was risen from the dead, Thomas said, unless I can see with my own eyes, he came from the show me state. You know there's a state in America, got it on their number plates, show me. He came from the show me state. Unless I can see with my eyes, feel with my hands, I will not believe. And you can read this story in John 20 and verse 28. It's one of the great stories of the Bible. This is where Thomas comes through. John chapter 20 and verse 28. John 20, verse 28. Maybe you should look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the Nile marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. One of the greatest testimonies came from a man who was a professional doubter. And one of his friends, because this was a special group, was a man by the name of James. James. The less, Not to be confused with the other James. He's called James the Less. What do we know about him? Virtually nothing. The only thing we know is his name and that he followed Jesus. But that's pretty good, isn't it? But he didn't get his name in lights. Many people, particularly some uh, public speakers, are not happy unless they've got their name in lights. This man, don't think he wrote any part of the Bible. He's hardly mentioned. But we're told that he gave his life to Christ and he followed Christ. And one of his friends, a good friend, was a man by the name of Simon. Now, this man, Simon, is called in scriptures the Zealot. And Simon, like Peter, was hot-headed. Now, who were the Zealots? Well, they were a group of people who were really assassins. They hated the Romans. They were terrorists. They didn't like any occupying power. Nobody with any sense of dignity, likes an occupying power, even if the occupying power thinks it's there to help you. (laughs) It'd be like if the British came over and tried to take over America. You don't like people like this. And so the zealots said, we will kill any person who helps one of the Romans. If you're a priest and if you're talking to a Roman... Helping a Roman will kill you. This was Simon. He belonged to a band of cutthroats. Fancy Jesus picking a man who was a professional terrorist. Simon the Zealot. There was another person in your party, Simon. His name was Judas Lebaeus and Thaddeus. He is a man with three names. So sometimes when you read the accounts of these men, it may be a little difficult for you to say, well, this doesn't seem to be harmonizing because this Judas has got another name, Lebaeus and Thaddeus. What do we know about him? Well, only that he was a very ordinary man. We don't really know what his profession was. We think with some certainty The seven of the disciples were fishermen, which is, you know, sort of down-to-the-earth job. One of them was a tax collector. One of them was a terrorist. We don't know much about this man. He's mentioned only one incident is recorded about this man. This is in John 14, 21 and 22. Can't tell you much about him. John chapter 14 and verse 21 and 22. Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? That's the only thing we know that he said. He must have said lots of things, but he was a quiet man And a retiring man, just a very ordinary man. And because he was in this group, you see the first group Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then you got another group of four. Then you got another group of four. He would have known number 12. And his name was Judas. We know a lot about him Judas Iscariot. Why is he called Iscariot? Is that his last name? His surname? No. He came from the little town of Kerioth. A little town down deep south in Judah. All the rest of them came from Hicksville. Up in Galilee around Nazareth. No seminaries. Nothing like that. Not a lot of teaching or preaching but this man was different. He was an opportunist. He loved power and glory. When he heard Jesus preach and saw the miracles he was attracted to him because this was the miracle worker. and Miracle workers can generate money so he latched on to him and Jesus Invited him to come. But as time went by and he heard the teachings of Jesus, that Jesus said, someone strikes you on one side, let him strike you again. Lend to people. Don't ask for it back. Love your enemies. He said, this is not for me. He became disillusioned and disgruntled one of his biggest problems was the love of money, avarice. If you look at John chapter 12, verses 2 to 6, you read there a very touching story. John chapter 12, verses 2 to 6. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold, the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. This is worth $50,000. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. This man was the treasurer of the outfit. Maybe we could say he was the intellectual. And after Jesus spent many days and weeks and months, even years with him, he hardened his heart. You see, a person can believe or a person can stifle conviction. He stifled conviction. He would sit in church week after week and apply it all to somebody else. And then he made a deal with the priests, those evil men, a deal for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. He ended up at the end of a rope. And the rope broke. And he fell down and crashed into a rock and his bells burst forth. That was his end. Judas, the very name, sends a chill of abhorrence through the body. Judas. I want the twelve apostles to come up here again and I want to tell you what happened to them, what they accomplished, how they died, how they lived Every one of them, of course, except Judas, who committed suicide, every one, stay here, but a little separate. Because <laughs> this man's not going to glory, Judas. Every one of them, except John, died in martyrs' deaths. Every one of them. James, was beheaded with the sword. John didn't die a martyr's death. They did throw him in a pot of boiling oil and he escaped. But he was imprisoned to the desert island of Patmos where he received the apocalypse. What about Peter? Peter, the man with the big mouth. Peter talked and talked. The Bible talks about Peter's wife. History tells us that they crucified her first. Crucified Peter's wife first. And after he watched his wife crucified, they came to crucify Peter. And Peter, the man who now was a rock. Remember, the church was not built upon this man. It was built upon the rock Christ Jesus. But like his Lord, he became a rock man like a rock, when they came to crucify him, he said, upside down, crucify me upside down, I'm not worthy to be crucified as Jesus was, they were men with the right stuff, they started out as very ordinary men, but through the grace of God they were filled with courage, faithfulness, steadfastness. They became the foundation stones in the temple of God. They changed the world. Think of Peter's ministry. His ministry to the Gentiles. The leader of the infant church. Think of John. John, a fisherman, who wrote the greatest book in the history of the world with the most profound theology The gospel according to John. Think about Matthew here. Matthew, the tax collector who wrote that masterpiece that bears his name. The gospel according to Matthew. I purposefully chose today 12 ordinary men. Men with stammering lips and who feel self-conscious. Because they are the stuff of which heroes are made. These ordinary men did extraordinary deeds because of the transforming power of Christ. They changed the world because God changed them. He found them bumbling, self-conscious, proud, flaky, flaky, unreliable, but he didn't leave them that way. Through them, God changed the world because firstly, he changed them. How about you and me? Ordinary men and women, called by the grace of God to do extraordinary things for Christ.